I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. This week, we're going sailing a little farther south in Antarctica. Sponsorship of the show comes from Shearwater Sailing, a sailing charter business run out of Monterey by Kevin Wasbauer. Kevin's flagship vessel, Atalanta, is a beautiful, fully equipped FAR 53, and at the end of January, on the 28th and 29th, Kevin will be sailing Atalanta from Monterey up to San Francisco. The trip would make a nice gift for the sailor and your family, or maybe you want to treat yourself to an offshore adventure. Find out more info and contact Kevin at shearwatersailing.net. That's shearwatersailing.net. Well, this week on the show, we're going chartering a little further afield with Federico Guerrero and Laura Smith, who run Quixote Expeditions based out of Ushuaia, Argentina. They have two boats, a 66-foot catch and an old Norwegian lifeboat that's been repurposed as a passenger ship. They run regular trips to Antarctica, and I talk to them all about how they met, how they started their business, and of course, sailing at the bottom of the world. The crazy thing is, Laura and I grew up immediately next door to each other in Falls Church, Virginia. Now, I knew Laura, but not that well because she was a bit younger than I, and I didn't learn about her passion for sailing and tall ships until much later. And not too long ago, my parents decided to reconnect with Laura and to go on one of Laura and Fede's trips. And they had just a fabulous time. But they ended up connecting Laura and Fede with yet another one of my childhood friends who now runs an adventure photography business, taking tours all over the world, now to Antarctica. But more on that in the interview. So let's get into it. Why don't you start by introducing yourselves? Tell, tell us where you grew up and how you first got into sailing. Well, I grew up in Mariajo, which is a little town like 300 miles from Buenos Aires City on the Atlantic coast. It's a little town on the beach. And uh, we were always doing beach sport like kayak or swimming or stuff like that on the beach. And then sailing, I started when I was 12 on a, like 40 miles away from Mariajo and another town which has a little port and they have more facility for small dinghies and optimist and small sailboats. And that's where I did the sailing course and started sailing with my dad. Was there was something 12. immediately about sailing that drew you to it? My dad wanted to buy a, a sailboat for the open ocean, like something small we could use from the beach. And we traveled to Buenos Aires one time to try to find something like that, but was very expensive, what he wanted. And instead we saw an optimist, which we didn't have any idea what an optimist was, but I like it. I don't know why, but I like <laughs> the optimist. I convinced him to buy it. So we bought it. And of course, we couldn't use it in the open, in the beach, because it's an open boat. So we went to a, a nearby town, which has like a man-made lagoon. Yeah. And we tried there, but the place was too small for the optimists. So then he, my dad remembered about this other town, which had like a more like a club nautic, a nautic club. So we went there. They were giving a... 
training uh, course for sailing. It was too late for us to join that one, but we joined the next one. And that's how we start sailing. And then we got involved with people in the sailing community and which also had bigger sailboats. And I know, Fed, that you eventually built your own boat, but that was much later. What, how did you work yeah. up to that? When we did the sailing course, then we got involved with people from Buenos Aires who had bigger boats and they were sailing from Buenos Aires to this town. So then the idea, I mean, grew like having a bigger sailboat, not just a small sailboat for the beach. And that's how my dad bought a 20 foot little sailboat and on which- With a small cabin. With a small cabin. And then we start sailing in the Argentine coast and then across to Uruguay. And this is before GPS or anything. We didn't have any equipment. And this is like a hundred miles open, open seas, uh, basically uh, sailing in, in the winter without heating or anything because winter vacation is the only time we had. And that's how we, I like sailing. And then I finished high school. A friend of my mom knew about the nautical school, which is for the merchant marine, and which in Argentina is not very known, this uh, school. So I went there and I did that and I become a tech officer and always with the idea, then, I mean, since I was sailing on small boats, I wanted to build or buy, or I don't know, go sailing somehow, somewhere. Mm -hmm. So then I started sailing on big boats uh, and with always with the same idea of one day maybe building a boat. And yeah, eventually I did that. Well, we will get to that boat that you built. <laughs> but first, I want to ask Laura, how, how were you introduced to sailing? I started sailing out in Western Maryland on a lake called Deep Creek Lake. Um, my mom was always looking for camps or things to put us in and there was a sailing camp. And so I also started in Optimus and sailed a few weeks during the summer, but not crazy amounts. Like we, my dad, I think bought us a sunfish but we didn't really ever use it. Mm -hmm. um, but then, also, when I was in middle school, I wanted to sail on tall ships because of a book I had read, The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle. So I made my family go on a tall ship one week out of Martha's Vineyard called the Shenandoah. And then I vowed to myself that I would work on a tall ship during college. And so I did. I worked on the sister ship of the Shenandoah, the Alabama, one summer. And I was 19 when I was crew and really enjoyed that and all things nautical like when I was in high school I had my desk set up like an 18th century ship's captain's desk I love um, it. yeah so I had like quill pens and like reproduction coins and old maps and, and things like that a big old globe and then like in my dorm room in college I had a poster of Captain James Cook's ship I have I, to stop you just for a second because I just finished reading with my two girls the True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, and they loved it. I mean, all three of us were really into it, but what a great book, and especially for adventurous young women and young girls. To be honest, I think that book, I mean, it sounds dumb, but if you have to look at books that change your life, I mean, because of that book, I did the tall ship, and I was into tall ships, and because of that, I got more into like sailing and big sailing. So yeah, that book probably changed the course of who I am. And how did the two of you meet? And did you, did you share that connection about sailing immediately? So we met on a boat. So I 
ended up as I graduated as a geologist and I was working on ships that made three-dimensional maps of the geology of the ocean floor. Wow. He was a deck officer. And so we met on one of those boats at Crew Change in Las Palmas. And then we, that trip, we sailed from Las Palmas north up to Tromsø, Norway. That's spectacular. Yeah. And then did you, were you able to then stay together for a bit or did you go your separate ways? Ship life can take you many different places on different ships. So we were able to be on the same ship, same crew for a year. And then after that, we were able to stay on like the same rotation. So we were on different boats, but then off at the same time. That's great. When did this idea hatch of starting your own sailing business together, charter business? Well, I think first before that, we have to go to Antarctica. And so when I met him, he was in the middle of building a boat that at that point he thought he might sail to Antarctica. Yeah. And I'll just say before that, before building his boat, Fede sailed other people's boats across the Atlantic, double-handed one way, single-handed the other. And that fed a lot of his ideas for building his own boat. In 2013, January, we sailed to Antarctica on the sailboat that he built, which was called Quixote. And it was the two of us plus two friends. And that was sort of our honeymoon, more or less. So on our like wedding registry, instead of like plates and dishes, we had things like flare guns and donate to a dinghy and because <laughs> like we said, if you get us any, any of the normal China, like it'll break in 24 hours. So yeah, that reminds me of my parents who, when they got money for furniture from their parents said, oh, thanks. We're going to put it into our boat. <laughs> Totally, that's what happened. And so in order to sail to Antarctica, you need, well, the main place to leave from is Ushuaia, Argentina. And so we did that and we never left. So for the next five years, we lived on the sailboat on the dock. And then, I don't know, Fede sort of had the idea of doing a business. We sort of chatted about it. But the reality is Quixote as a boat is great as a family boat, but it's not big enough for doing a charter. And then in 2014, this man named Charlie Porter, who was really big in the American climbing scene in the 70s and 80s, had also mm -hmm. bought a sailboat to do scientific work in the fjords. He suddenly passed away from a heart attack and suddenly a very perfect sailboat called Ocean Tramp was for sale down here in Puerto Williams in Chile. And so we purchased that from his sister. And that kicked off our, yeah, our business. Then I quit my job on, on the boat and um, to start the company basically let's hop back i want to hear more about the building of quixote what did you have in mind fede when you set out to build or you had already done a lot of sailing as laura said a lot of ocean crossing and you were picking up ideas i knew a little bit now i know more so if i have to do it again it will be different obviously but at the time i wanted a boat no more than 12 meters so 40 foot so you can handle it more easily uh, and I, I wanted a pilot house because sailing on the little 20 foot and then a 28 foot i got wet a lot still mm. outside so i wanted a sailboat with a pilot house i didn't care much about performance like going upwind because to nowadays the weather forecast is very good so who sails upwind i mean 
you stay in port. And I, I wanted a comfy boat because, you know, most of your time, like 95% of your time is uh, at anchor or in a marina. To me, it was more important having a, a comfy boat than a boat which can sail fast. I was looking for drawings and stuff, and I ended up with the Bruce Roberts. The model he had, it was 388 which I then modified. I did the, a bigger or a higher pilot house and higher aft cabin, bigger aft cabin. I mo modify a few stuff. <clears throat> I also modify a bit the keel. That was the, the boat I choose. I'm familiar with those, yeah. those Bruce Roberts. Is that the Voyager? Yeah, the Voyager, Voyager 388, yeah. And I, I fit the big end by big enough engine, 74 horse, horsepower, uh, John Deere for whenever the conditions like i mean if you have to make it to a place or whatever you just use the engine a tractor engine obviously and it was actually a proper tractor engine not the marinized marine one and i installed a kill cooler instead of the traditional cooling system so there is no like a seawater pump uh, i simplify a lot of stuff on the on the engine tell me about that first passage to antarctica so you guys you finish the boat where did you build her? Did you build her in Ushuaia or did you? Build it in Buenos Aires. I mean, okay, here so in Argentina, you built everything her. is in Buenos Aires. So. Okay, so then you head then south. You well, no, we headed north. Yeah, exactly. For going south, you, 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 we, first, we went for a winter to Brazil. To test out the boat. To test everything, test the boat, see Makes how everything sense. worked. So Brazil is, you know, the water is warm, <laughs> the air is warm. So... <laughs> Everything's a little easier, a little farther north. Yes. Tell me about that first crossing, the Drake's Passage, and headed to, to Antarctica. My memories are is that it was kind of comfortable because yeah. you could steer from inside, and he installed the a passenger side seat from a Dodge Caravan minivan as the seat. So <laughs> we just, I remember, I remember sitting there and like just watching the waves pass. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Again, big pilot house, so from the inside position, I put two steering position, and from the inside you could see everything, the forward sail through the windshield, the, and then a hatch on top of your head, you can see the main sail and all the instruments and a good autopilot. We set the sails like in a very conservative way, like a low sails, and I mean, we went out a few times to check and to, you know, everything. I was going outside to, to see how from the outside, but we were mostly inside and we wait, we wait for the weather forecast, a yeah. good window. And I mean- We I, waited a week for a good weather yeah, window. Yeah, yeah. I usually don't even have a, like a full weather gear. And I, we cross the trekking crocs from, <laughs> yeah, because even the outside sitting <laughs> position had a good uh, playful, protection, yeah. yeah, with canvas on the back. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. yeah, and a metal top. So, and from that enclosed area, you could brief all the sails and do anything. Yeah, so all lines went back to the very protected yeah. um, cockpit. So we, we did, I mean, we never went to the foredeck or being outside. Which so, is but comfortable is not the first word that comes to people's mind when they think of the Southern Ocean. Was that an unusually calm, comfortable crossing? I mean, you've done it many times now um or with the right boat do you feel no it was a normal one i mean it's all it's all about planning if you have a good boat that you tested 
and you sail in a conservative way, so you don't break anything, and you are paying attention to all the noises and everything to cut stuff before they break, and then you wait for the good weather window, uh, and then you go when the weather is supposed to be good. I mean, you have low chances of having issues, and the crossing is only six hundred and fifty miles, so it's three days, about three plus yeah. four days. I mean, we have videos of big waves. Yeah, yeah, no, they, I mean, it was the Drake. <laughs> yeah, it's not a drag. Usually is, but it is a it is a good boat. Yeah, it was well built, well tested. Yeah, to be honest, I don't think anyone got seasick on that trip. The only time I think I've gotten seasick. There are a video of you a little bit hugging the table a little bit, but uh, oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but we, it's not like we were seasick. It is very uncomfortable. So that's you. You will not feel like happier. I mean, yeah. yeah, but we also but, planned to. I mean, you know, we cooked a lot of hard-boiled eggs beforehand yeah. and empanadas so that we weren't having to to cook or anything. Yeah. So we kept it as simple as possible. You you come across this boat, Ocean Tramp, a little bit bigger, so you're able to take people out on expeditions. Talk a little bit about the beginning of that, getting up and running, having a bigger boat. Well, we did the trip to Isla de los Estados. I mean, we, we crossed the Drake a few times, a few seasons, but we didn't love crossing the Drake. And most of the people doesn't like, I mean, if we didn't like crossing the Drake and we are sailors, normal people will not like crossing the Drake. I mean, people willing to go to Antarctica, they go to visit Antarctica. They don't want to cross the Drake. Crossing the Drake is just because it's in between. So then um, I knew some companies, uh, bigger companies, cruise companies were flying down to Antarctica. So I started investigating that option. It was not easy at all, but uh, managed to get a deal with the airline and start uh, flying people down. The first season, we used uh, the charter flight of another charterer, but then uh, we managed to get our own dates. And that was the big difference. That was a game changer. The game yeah. changer. So, yeah. And yes. also, I mean, when we first got Ocean Tramp, we had to do a lot of modifications on Ocean Tramp as well, like all new electronics, oh, yeah. all yeah. new everything. Well, because... Charlie was mostly motoring in the Beagle Channel, not sailing. So, the boat was not really prepared to sail like uh, i mean the lines didn't, <laughs> i mean everything was like old. old and not well set and bringing the deck of a 66 foot is not easy or cheap so it takes uh, took many years to have it in conditions to properly like sail i mean you will sail safely but what the 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 way the lines were run and stuff was not very Efficient. Yeah. Efficient. So actually, so, that brings up a question also, for me: is yeah. uh, how did that's a big investment in a boat that size to get the business off the ground? Where how did you make the money to while you were working on it and taking the time to refit that boat? Well, when we first got the boat, Fede quit, but I didn't. I still worked for another three years for an actual company making actual money. But we it, also I mean, did it slowly. Do, yeah. yeah, we didn't do like a big refit uh, straight on because first of all, we wanted to sail the boat and see what we need to do as opposed to just dismantle everything. And so it was everything like uh, and on small steps, like 
replacing electronics or buying more lines or installing a generator, water maker, water maker. And at the same time, we were doing some trips uh, in the fjords and to Isla de los Estados, to Antarctica. So basically, my salary or our salary were going to the boat and we were living on board the boat as well. So our expenses were very low. Uh, the boat we bought it with a, a very good, good, price, de a good yeah. deal, good price, uh, with money that we had saved from previous jobs. So right. I think the constant theme is that we're fairly conservative in everything we do, whether it's yeah. like conservative on safety matters, conservative like slow and steady and getting it right the first time. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that people they didn't many people didn't go didn't want to go to antarctica on a sailboat even flying down because it was too much adventure there was a market for photographers or other people who wanted to go to antarctica on a small boat but not the sailboat so that's when this other boat han hanson came up and it was up there for sale and we got yeah, it's a small motor vessel. It's an ex-Norwegian life-saving vessel yeah. built in the 1960s. And ironically, that boat brings business for the sailboat because people who are not interested in our sailboat, that is a good salesman. So they'll inquire about Hans Hansen and maybe they don't have quite enough people, which is 12. And so then he sells them on the sailboat and they otherwise <laughs> wouldn't have been interested. You upsell them on the sailboat. The Hans Hansen yeah. is a very cool looking boat. So now you guys have a fleet. Well, and thanks to that, we were able to have our own charter flight with our own dates. And that was a game changer does, for us. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that photography is a big part of the business, particularly on, on the Han Hansen boat. I just have to mention that you partner with, so I mentioned in the intro, Laura, that you and I actually grew up next to each other in a small town in Northern Virginia. But another neighbor of ours, Justin Black, who, who runs trips for photographers, works with you guys. Yeah. Yes, it's a very cool and small world. We've definitely been on the bridge of Hans Hansen discussing the same theater teacher we had in sixth grade. <laughs> yeah, that, that's wonderful. Tell me about a little bit more about those photo expeditions. Do you get people who aren't necessarily used to being on board? Is that difficult? Well, Justin was doing trips, I think in Antarctica, but on slightly bigger boats, like more like a 50 passenger Yeah, but boat. he was asking, how do passengers who aren't used to small boats deal with small boats? Well, but the, yeah, I, I don't know if these people went on a cruise ship before, but Han Hanson is like a, a small cruise ship. So it's okay. not like a, a but where everything is very small so you have a small cabins you have a small mess room but it's like in a, it doesn't feel as small as say a sailboat yeah. feels. And, and once yeah. you are in antarctica the waters are very protected so you don't have uh, the, there is a passage in the north from where the plane lands down to the peninsula where it, it could be a bit choppy but it's only one overnight passage so if we see the weather is not going to be good then we do it at night when people is sleeping uh, but then once you are down in the peninsula, it's, it's basically very flat uh, water. So you, you don't know you're on a boat. Uh, I'll just say one thing, even with Ocean Tramp, the nice thing about Antarctica in general is that it's a very different place. So people are very open to you telling them how to do things, mm -hmm. how to get into a Zodiac, how to clean your boots. So 
it's kind of the same with a sailboat. It's everything is so foreign that they're very receptive to you saying, this is how we do things. Um, and so that kind of works pretty well. Mm -hmm. that, that's really interesting. And that actually leads to my next question, which was tell us a little bit more about sailing in Antarctica. It is so different. I really have no way of envisioning what it's like. What is anchoring like? Is it how often are you protected? Is it open? What are the prevailing winds like? Can you paint a picture for the sailors out there of what it's like to go cruising in Antarctica? Sure. Well, first I'll say Antarctica is a big place. So when we're kind of casually calling it Antarctica, what we are referring to is the West Antarctic Peninsula. Which is like a, a one tenth Point, of, yeah, of one, an inch in the map of Antarctica. Yeah. So it's a tiny little place. Um, because yeah. the reality is in all of the Antarctica, there's very few places you can go because it's mostly glaciers coming into the sea. Um, but in the West Antarctic Peninsula, there are a lot of fjords and coves and islands that do offer protection. So I'll say the reality is once you're in the West Antarctic Peninsula, there's very little sailing that happens per se, because there's either too much wind or not enough wind, but also there's ice. So you need to be dodging ice, which you can't really do that well. Uh, with the sails up and not only dodging ice, but you need to be able to kind of come to a full stop if there's ice you don't see. I'd say on a two week trip, we might put the sails up once. In terms of anchoring, there's very few safe anchorages. Very few and they don't exist in the charts. Uh, so you need to have, you need to have knowledge there to know because they are again, very few and more and more boats are coming and the places are for um, a, few boats, a few boats. So sometimes you have to be ready to be maybe adrifting uh, during the night. Is it not then, safe because of the prevailing winds or because of the ice or because of both? Mostly the ice, mostly the ice because it's very deep. It's like, uh, yeah, mountains. So it's, I mean, it's mostly glacially carved. So yeah. when glaciers carve stuff, they usually carve it very deep, so. Yeah, and even if in many places you anchor, but uh, then you have little bergs floating back and forth and they get caught in your anchor or your lines. So then you have to be dealing with that all the time. Well, it's also hmm. common to run lines ashore. So in yeah. some places it's too narrow to swing on your anchor. So we have two lines from the bow and two lines from the stern, or maybe we've dropped the anchor and have two lines from the stern mm. tied to rocks on the shore. Mm. And that's a pretty important uh, and common yeah. thing to do down there. Yeah. And you're the doing that by burying them back and forth with a dinghy? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, usually it's not too bad down there, but uh, la last season, for example, was terrible all the time. Like they were having 50 knots, 60 knots, uh, snowing, snowing raining. raining, like all together. So it was a weather wise was a very tough season. But usually that area in the West um, Antarctic Peninsula is further south than most of the systems that roll through the Drake Passage. Mm -hmm. So you don't get hit with as much as the Drake gets hit with. So I'm curious what changes you're seeing. You guys have been doing this for how long, running this business for how long? Well, I mean, we first went to Antarctica January 2013 um, okay. with Quixote, and then we've been doing the business since 2016. Almost a decade that you've been going down there. 
what changes have you seen? Feta, you mentioned that there are more and more boats. Like in terms of climate change and things like that? Yeah, climate change, anything else. I mean, more. what, what kind of boats are you seeing coming? Winds, you know, weather, you were talking about that. Yeah, I mean, I'll say sometimes, you know, climate change is a big scale. So even 10 years, it's hard to say. Right, well, that's what I'm going to say. Like, sometimes we visit Palmer Station and there's people there who've been working there for years and years. Palmer Station is one of the U.S. bases. And a few years ago, it was like, oh, an island appeared. They thought it was just a bit of, of rock. And then as the glacier pulled back, they realized it was an island. And so that's just due to glaciers pulling back and exposing more land. It's hard to say, like, last year's weather, is it a seasonal thing? Is it climate change? Yeah. I'm a believer of climate change, but it's hard to describe exactly what that is. So I don't want to say, oh, it's because of climate change. But yeah, there are changes. Um, and if you look at all of the data, it's, you know, it's one of the fastest warming places on the earth. So that's true. They're, they've seen changes of penguin. Even since we've been there, actually, when we first went to um, Vernatsky, the Argentine Islands, there were almost no gentoo penguins, and now there's a lot um, because the gentoo penguins are very opportunistic and seem to be very happy with changes, and they also eat a lot of different things. So their population is actually like growing on the peninsula. That's fascinating. So, I mean, it's a pretty serious place to sail. I think it scares a lot of sailors who haven't been there. As you said, you guys do it very cautiously. And you you think about it, and you have the proper equipment and the proper boats, but you must have gotten into situations that were a little hairy. Are there moments, um, either on your own sailing or with with passengers, that that stick out in your mind? Mm, I mean, one yeah. time we had in Deception Island sixty knots or sixty yeah. something knots, was, so we had to keep reanchoring. But, but yeah. No, made the first trip, 2013, maybe at Hovgard Island, we just, we, our line uh, yeah. wasn't tied very well. So when the winds blew, it's like the rock was, imagine the rock being egg-shaped. So you tied around the base and the, the line slipped up because there was nothing holding it down. Yeah. So it, you know, at midnight, luckily the winds weren't that strong, but it slipped. And the next thing you know, we, you heard thunk. And luckily it's a steel hull, but we sort of bumped into a rock. So at midnight, we had to launch the Zodiac and run the lines again. But to be perfectly honest, nothing like harrowing or... Well, I have to say that that's um, probably the, the the best advertisement for, <laughs> for going sailing with you guys <laughs> that I've heard yet, you know, because uh, the way you approach it seems, seems very sensible and, you know, certainly adventurous, but uh, nothing extreme that's going to put anybody in danger yeah we i mean we look at the weather forecast very closely all the time and we base our decisions of where we go where we stay based on on weather so and also we do a lot of preventive maintenance on the boat i mean or uh, we have lots of spares as well so even yeah. on like the past let's say the past three four five years a few of the sail two of the sailboats had gearboxes that broke so we actually have a spare gearbox. So if anything happens on Ocean Tramp, you just swap it out. You don't have to fix it. So we have lots of spare parts. We now have, you know, two water makers. So we try to prepare, I mean, our running joke with ourselves, because it's also hard to get that stuff here. There's no big ship chandleries. I mean, the closest chandleries in Buenos Aires, and even they don't have everything. So 
you know, our running joke is that we're a logistics company that happens to sail to Antarctica. Yeah, <laughs> we also have four crew members. We are not on board Ocean Ram now, and we have crew, and on Ocean Ram we have four crew members. Where usually they will a boat like that will have two, maybe three crew members. So we have more people, so they can be if they have two, be doing watches 24/7. You have redundancy in gear and people. <laughs> it seems like the name and of the game. Hanson has a professional chief engineer on board. I mean, Ocean Tramp is a, a sailboat, so the, the skipper or someone on board the, takes care of the engine. The first mate takes care of the but mechanical if part. Happens, we have a chief engineer. Yeah, there is a chief engineer on the other boat, so they can also fix the stuff so how has that change been for you guys you, you you mentioned you're not on the boat right now you you now live on land you're not living on the boat anymore and you have a bunch of crew running two boats um talk about that a little bit the the building of the business so i'll admit fede is the businessman i am not and ben as you know well it basically everyone in our neighborhood, I think as like almost everyone, 97% like worked for the federal government having yeah. up outside of DC, my dad included. And so I honestly had no sense of what running a business like looked like, you know, like, what does that look like? Um, so I'm definitely the more cautious one. Um, but Fede pushes us forward. So he's the, he's the dream and idea man. And then I help implement it with the paperwork. So there's two realities. I mean, some of our friends run their boat as one sailboat. You don't quite make enough money to have crew. And so you're sort of, I don't say stuck in a cycle, but you're very much tied to your boat, which is great. But at the same time, you're completely tied to your boat all the time. Um, so if we wanted to either expand the business or have a family or anything, you're just tied to the boat. So Fede always wanted to expand the business. In some ways, yeah, it's easier having one boat and just sailing and being on it. It's less, less boats, less problems. But at the same time, we're doing really cool things. We still go on some trips. So like in October, uh, we're taking an otter scientist out and we're the crew. He'll be looking, it'll be the first Southern River Otter Expedition funded by the Explorers Club and and Discovery Channel. So we kind of pick and choose the, the cool ones and go on those. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So you still keep your hand in it, get to go on the boat when you when you choose, so you don't feel too far away from it. And yeah, and also usually I go to Antarctica several times per season on the plane for a couple of hours. <laughs> so <laughs> I go with the passengers going down and greet the crew, ask if everything is okay, and then fly back with the coming back passengers. So I go to Antarctica for the day. What plans are you scheming now, Fede, for the business? How do you see it progressing in the future? We're always looking, I'm always looking for another boat like Hank Hanson but it's not easy because it has to, I mean, the perfect boat is difficult hard to, to find. find, hard to find. So again, we are conservative. So yeah, we will only buy a boat or get the boat if it's a good boat. The right boat, right price, because it needs to be small enough that it's not too big, big enough that it has enough fuel capacity to last the whole season. So there's a lot of things on Fede's checklist, but he's yeah. always looking, that's for sure. Yeah. My parents joined you and had a fabulous time. They just raved about it, the experience of sailing down there in Antarctica with you guys. How do people, if they want to find more information, what's the best way to do that? 
So our company is called Quixote Expeditions. So quixote-expeditions.com. We have, you can through us book trips on Ocean Tramp. All of our trips on Hansonsen are subchartered to like other photography trips, but finding us there is the, the best place. And I'll just say, yeah, no, I mean, it's Antarctica is an amazing, I mean, we are, it's hard, this and that, but obviously Antarctica is an amazing place to have ended up doing, doing business. We get to hang out with penguins and, you know, crew briefings are about penguin, how close can you get to whales and penguins and the citizen science you're doing. We so. also bring, uh, on the trips that we do um, with individual passengers, we bring a scientist. Yep. So we offer a bank for a scientist to come on board. So we also assist with science down there and then on other trips do citizen science. So for all of the hard work and even not being on board all the time, it's a, a pretty cool region to be uh, associated with. That's very cool. want to give a little plug here too for uh, your, your colleague and my friend, Justin Black, who we grew up with. Visionary Wild is his company who you guys work with a lot. So if you're a photographer who happens to be listening, go join Quixote Expeditions through Visionary Wild. Yeah, Justin runs great trips. So he actually is one of our few customers that bring two guides. Most of them are 12 passengers and one guide, but he uh, brings two guides and 11 passengers and they do really great stuff on board. Justin and all of his colleagues are great. They do amazing workshops. We uh, tiptoe around the boat as people are getting their photos reviewed and critiqued. And there's some really cool photographs that come out of those trips. I just had an idea. We should try and get all three of us together. We could do a podcast talking about that would be then yeah. and now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Super, super cool. No, we just feel incredibly lucky that we're able to run our own business, have our own boats, and just do some facilitate and do cool things. Well, you're doing very cool things. Is there anything else that you guys want to mention before we wrap it up here? hit on most of the cool interesting things that we do i mean we could talk for days um <laughs> so i'll spare everybody that no but it's just it's definitely been an evolution basically from two people interested in sailing from two different perspectives and this i'll just end with this so you know i was obsessed with tall ships and my desk was a uh, ship's captains and so when i was 16 for christmas my dad gave me a brass um ship's clock that dings every half an hour for the bells yeah and that is now we've taken that to all of our ships. So we now have one of those clocks on every ship. And the one that was originally mine has gone ship to ship and is now in our house with us. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. Well, thank you both. This has been a joy. Yes, thank you so yeah. much. And um, really, really cool to, to chat then. Sign up to go sailing in the Antarctic at Quixote Expeditions. That's Q-U-I-X-O-T-E dash expeditions.com. Or check out my friend Justin Black's photography trips at Visionary Wild. All one word, visionarywild.com. As always, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Thanks for listening. You can reach me on Instagram at OutTheGateSailing or Email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. I always love hearing from listeners. Until next time, smooth sailing.